Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 258th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's been tumbling into a time spiral for nearly five years. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everyone. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Well, this week, episode 258, we're going to hit... Uh, about four bases. <laughs> Segment one, our Medigo, Medigo, MT- Medigo, Medigo. I've done that so many times. Our MTGO Metagame Week in Review. Segment two, our top paper movers, which is uh, <laughs> a little uh, edited for clarity this week, uh, followed by the top MTGO movers. Segment three, our paper cards to watch, some stuff James and I have our eyes on. And segment four, our topic of the week, the Hasbro earnings report came out recently, and there are uh, there's some, some reading between the lines to happen in there. Um, so let's start up here at the very top, segment one, uh, the Pioneer Challenge, won by uh, Dual Flip Card Dredge, as we're calling it. This is the version that's quote-unquote monolith. There are no direct land cards. It's all the, the DFC cards that function as the land sources um that runs you know ball straight spy and and all those all that good stuff so deck continues to put up results most weeks well this this is an evolution of the decks we saw originally um because this has more of a dredge aspect going on we've seen these cards narc amoeba um prized amalgam silver smoke ghoul make their way into here um and then there's the thassa's oracle thing with the balustrade spy and World Spine Worms as well. Undercity Informer, of course, doing its Balstreet Spy impression. But there's also three Neoform and four Eldritch Evolution that have posted up in this version of the list. Um, so you can take one of the creatures you have on the battlefield and upgrade it into something else. I thought we had seen the Eldritch Evolution before. The Neoforms are the are the new element. Yeah, the new part. Okay. Yeah, and the eighth sense. the eighth place deck doesn't have the Neoforms. They just run four Eldritch Evolution. But this uh, this pilot seemed to to key in on that whole combo potential sequence being especially tasty, um, and uh, went in for seven copies of a duplicate effect. Okay, they're going deep on it. Um, well, and it worked out for them. They placed yeah, first they in won. the challenge. They won. I wonder. I, I haven't actually watched this deck play out, so I don't know what the how all of the little angles on it are. But it must be pretty decent if it keeps doing this well. I'm well, it's curious. cute that you can like you can get from something to Thassa's Oracle and from Thassa's Oracle up into something else. Uh, 
which allows you to either fool around with uh, what creatures are coming onto the battlefield or try to set up the combo to finish the game. I this, The goal must be to neoform... Maybe to neoform into, like, Balstrade Spy. Sure. I wonder if that's the goal. Is it neoform just functioning as a another way to drive the combo here? Because, like, if you turn to... Like a... How it wouldn't be... If you... If you turn three, a three drop. Turn two, a th- yeah, I don't know. It seems like they're probably trying to flip into ball straight spy. Well, prized amalgam and silver smoke ghoul popping out of a graveyard at some point are three casting cost creatures that can then be turned into spies. Mm, that is true. And all the two drops can be turned into undercity informers. Yeah. There's something there. Interesting. Uh, there's a lot going on here. Yes. <clears throat> to, to be able to run a deck with 74 cards and no lands <laughs> is is novel, to say the least. Oh my god, it is, isn't it? I didn't even notice that. Yeah. How and odd. It, mm-hmm. I would place, absolutely be playing that if we were in paper. Yeah. The nice thing about a deck like this is because it takes some time to understand the deck and to learn the the routines... You know, to get their heuristics down to play it out properly, this would very much appeal to me as well. I, I like playing. I like coming into the situation being bad, like just de- declaratively terrible mm-hmm. at playing the deck, and then learning my way into it. Because frankly, I don't could care less about winning magic games of Magic. I just like to challenge myself. So we yeah. we definitely would have had this. Someone would have had this deck built because like it's relatively inexpensive. Uh, it's mostly a lot of junk. And stuff that you might have had floating around anyways. The ZNR mythics are the most of the money, yeah. Yeah, and even then, I think like just a basic pack copy of these, I bet, can't be that expensive. And we would have had them... Uh, yeah, the cheapest copy of Turn Timber Symbiosis is 6 bucks. it looks like. So we probably would have had this built, one of us, and then every time somebody showed up to like a Pioneer event who forgot a deck or didn't have anything, we'd just hand them this pile of 75 cards and be like, good luck! because <laughs> it was like you always had this the most arcane combo deck that you kind of had built and carried around that you would force people to play and try and figure out on the spot the, the dude's just gonna cast like tangled florahedron go and wonder what he's doing wrong yes that was that was what you do is you give them a weird combo deck that like wasn't really that good and they would have to try and figure out the combo like while they were shuffling for their first match so like i just played a one one for two this deck sucks yeah um so we have mono black vampires in second this deck's been around the whole time there's been versions that were vampire focused versions that aren't i called soren imperious bloodlord foils to get somewhere in the next year given that we're heading into innistrad vampires in the fall that's probably still a solid call and uh deck continues to put up results in uh, third place we have teamer wilderness reclamation uros shark typhoons bunch of control cards uh really mostly blue green the the i think the only red stuff here is the expansion explosion and two sweltering suns in the main though they do have a couple more options in the sideboard fourth place you've got <clears throat> black red arcanist this is four dreadhorde arcanist four crocs a titan of death's hunger four stitcher supplier two valky god of lies the card uh of the moment out of cal time that is showing up all over the place in various formats four young pyromancer 
and Agadim's Awakening, two Blood Chiefs Thirst, two Claim the Firstborn, four Claim to Fame, two Spark Harvest, four Thoughtseize, Coligan's R- Command, and Village Rights. So the deal here is that you're basically getting a Pyromancer on the board and then going to town with uh, Village Rights to draw cards and Dreadhorde Arcanist to bring back all your cheap spells and let you reuse them. Mm-hmm. This is uh, this is a nifty iteration of this strategy. I like how they've kind of done a little bit more with it, um, and kind of the first, our first glimpse at how Valky has just been taking over seemingly every format at the moment. Well, the nice thing about this one is, or the interesting thing is that there's no Valky combo here. This is just Valky being Valky. Yeah. This is just you're you're playing the two one side until you've got seven mana, and then maybe you're going to play the Planeswalker. And the reason that that is viable in this particular strategy is that all of the creatures are two casting costs or less, including Velky, and that means Luris can bring back uh, a late Velky. And you've also got, let's see here, yeah, you've got Claim to Fame, so you can you can bring Velky back with the claim later in the game. Uh, okay, I don't have, I don't remember the rules well enough to make us. A statement on this but if you lure us a valky do you can you get the other side of it not that i know of well because if, if that's if that's true that's bonkers well because isn't i don't the think whole, so isn't the whole point of playing like blood braid elf and cascading into him that the cascade says you may cast that card and Luris yes. says you may cast a permanent spell with converted monocost to or less so the wording on those seems very similar to me if you can lure us Velkies out of your graveyard, <laughs> that's ridiculous. I, I'm willing to bet that's the purpose. That that's how that works. No, no, I, I just confirmed. I just looked it up online. You can't, you can't cast the Planeswalker side with Luris. Totally counterintuitive, and no one's and and the point is floating out there in the social space this week for Magic about how none of the interactions with Valky are intuitive, and it seems to be on the surface, uh, as we discussed last week, super inconsistent that old some of the old tricks were not allowed, you know, with with uh, the double cards, but with Cascade you get to play a seven drop Planeswalker. I, I'll be very surprised if that lasts. It seems to be too, be doing too well in too many places to stay that way, and they don't. And it's a good situation for them overall versus some of the other problems they've had because you can just rules change this, and you don't have to rules change the card. You just have to rules change the interaction with Cascade. So uh, explain to me though, where or where did you see the source that says you can't do that? I, I looked just looked it up in a couple different places, and people said no, you can't do that. I guess I'm, I believe it, but I'm curious what the difference between Luris and Bloodbraid Elf is. Like, Bloodbraid Elf says you, may, you exile the card and then you may cast it without paying its mana cost. And Luris says you may cast one permanent spell from your graveyard. I don't know. I guess, there, I guess there's enough of a difference there in the, the subtext that I can see them behaving differently. But. There are specific, there's a specific loophole. For the way Cascade check is check CMC, yeah, that, that must be that, what that it does is. that doesn't exist with Lura so far as I know. Yeah, I bet that's what it is. It's not it's not a difference that's written on the card. It's a difference that's written in the rule book, specific to Cascade. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. 
which is kind of weird. But I, I and I agree with you that it is the the rules for Cascade are are real weird, and they were amusing when they came out, and everyone kind of got to enjoy how that behaved. But it, like, they keep printing stuff like this. And it just seems like it gets messier and messier and like they are not committing to how they've handled it with Cascade in the past. Like they picked a path for Cascade back when Cascade came out. And then it feels like in the last like two or three years, they've kept walking, trying to change it um, and have walked themselves into a corner where nothing behaves consistently anymore. And I mean, maybe the solution is just cutting Cascade off at the knees in that regard, which is a little unfortunate, but probably necessary in order to maintain cohesion of any sort here i don't think anybody's going to make the argument that cascading into valky is necessary for the game it it was cool that that was a thing that you could do when you could find the effect um but yeah it seems like you're you're it's it's a necessary excision here i mean the history the history is not yet written on the on this series of interactions it's entirely possible it ends up being a little too inconsistent and it just isn't a problem and it's left alone but early testing like within the last week over multiple formats lots of youtube videos i've been watching uh, of play patterns seem to suggest that even if it's not fully busted now it shortly will be <laughs> so i mean they've, they've already stopped in modern as we're going to see they don't even they don't even worry about tybalt's trickery trickery to get to Velki. they're just going simian spirit guide to get a cascade card down as quickly as possible yeah yeah i i I caught that i i don't think the the issue at least isn't will valky end up some will valky the that card somehow specifically end up too good down the road i don't think that's the concern so much as every time something like this happens the rules are weird and we have to go through it all again and they keep kind of changing them and um like they keep changing them to try and fix the problem but not actually addressing the true root of the problem. So, and that will be what ends up getting the cascade rules changed. This was already a value engine deck that had been lying around. Velky adds a fresh dimension to it. The ability to copy cards in opponent's hands. If you, if you catch them napping with an Omnath in hand or something and turn your Velky into an Omnath, you're doing pretty, pretty solidly. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot going on here. It's a pretty fun looking deck. Uh, also worth noting that they're running four of their freshly printed pathway. So four blight step pathway in here expands the range of pathways in Pioneer. And we're going to see a little bit more of that further on. Because in the blue-white flyers deck that finished in fifth, they're running the henge gate pathway, which is the blue-white one. So you actually are seeing pathways with fairly strong penetration in Pioneer. Real shame that Pioneer is not actually being played or people might be more interested in chasing the foil borderless versions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe when we come back to paper, uh, Patrick Sullivan was doing another one of his uh, ask me mailbag things, and I asked him about that, but he didn't answer. So we'll all have to wait and wonder what Pioneer will look like when it comes back. Red, white, uh, prowess uh, in seventh place, uh, sorry, sixth place, and then seventh is a five-color Niv-Mizzet list that also runs two Valky God of Lies. And 8th place is pretty similar to the 1st place DFC Dredge deck. So Pioneer looking pretty spicy this week. Be interesting to see how that settles out in the next month or so. 
Now, over in Modern, things are not a whole lot different. Velky showing up uh, there as well, this time in first place in a five-color Omnath Velky list. This is uh, this is spicy for sure. Four Teferi Time Raveler, two Brazen Borrower, again, this is in Modern, two Omnath Locus of Creation, four Simeon Spirit Guide, four Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath, three Velky God of Lies, two Cryptic Command, one Dismember, four Force of Negation, four Violent Outburst, and four Ardent Plea. This looks like the kind of deck that I would have built around circa 2003, where you just take a couple of like interesting idea threads of ideas and just throw them together and... and head off with a smile to F&M thinking you're going to get something done and you just go zero for. Oh man, I remember when you could do that in modern. Just like, mm-hmm. oh, this looks funny. I'm going to do this. Just This is an idea that I have percolating. I'm going to put these cards in a deck and we're going to run with it. Like this is just such a silly pile of cards. You, <laughs> you have Teferi, Omnath, and Uro. Just your standard broken-ass permanence. Velky God of Lies gets added to that list. You got Cryptic Commands and Force of Negation... So you have a little bit of a control element and Force of Negation letting you pitch a bunch of your other stuff. Uro, Omnath, Brazen Borrower, Thrifairy are all blue cards. Um, so you can, and so is Ardent Plea. So you've always got pitch material. And then you've got eight Cascade car- cards to Cascade into Velky and combo off with the seven drop. <laughs> Ugly, nasty pants. Yeah, I mean, the trick to getting any goofy deck to work was to just find uh, obscenely powerful cards to back up your terrible plan. You'd be like, no. oh, I'm going to play this jank-ass combo, and I'm just going to put Jace the Mind, four Jace the Mind Sculptor in so the deck actually runs. <laughs> and I mean, this deck also has like some sneaky little power effects in their land base, too, because they have two Mystic Sanctuaries, so they can put some of those powerful instants back on top. And they've got Field of the Dead in the late game if they need to go wide. Mm-hmm. Leveraging all the extra land drops from Uro and Omnath. Fun little fun little package there. But it's crazy to be in a deck where you want four colors for Omnath and you're running Simeon Spirit Guide as part of that nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Omnath does want a red, so it's, I imagine there are occasionally situations where you don't have the Valkyrie early and you Simeon Spirit Guide into your Omnath on turn three. It doesn't seem like the worst thing you could do with your life. So, anyway, that's what won the Modern Challenge this weekend. Sure. Uh, now, second place deck wasn't any less crazy. It was also a Velky deck, but I'm going to call this one Four-Color Velky Control. It doesn't have any Uros or Omnaths. This is three Teferi Time Raveler, three Bone Crusher Giant. Definitely perks up my ears anytime I see that card showing up in multiples in Modern. Um, because showcase foils could get there longer term. Four Brazen Borrower, those foils are already there. That's already a successful spec paid off. Uh, four Simeon Spirit Guide again. Four Valky God of Lies again. Four Supreme Verdict. Two Far and Away, believe it or not. I don't know why that card in particular is great, but it's probably something to do with the three casting cost side of the card protecting you from hitting it with Cascade. Is that correct? Oh far and away is a it's blue side is one and a blue for return target creature to its owner's hand black side is target player sacrifices a creature but it's two and a black so i'm guessing that off violent outburst and ardent plea which are both three casting cost cards you can skip past the far and aways because at least one half of it is a three casting cost card well they remember they changed the ruling on those split cards because that used to be how you played um like 
either beck and call or uh, oh, breaking and entering would work like that. That if you cheated the card, you could play either half if you wanted to, and they changed that, which is what made suddenly breaking and entering bad and beck and call bad. But it also means that when you cascade, when the cascade card sees far and away, it sees five mana, so it won't play it. But yep. you still have access to a two or a three. Yep. That's my, that's my, but my point is that you get to skip yeah. past it with the cascade card and hit your Valky. Yeah, so it's it, I will <laughs> highlight that it's not a choice. Like you just you can't do it. You can't hit that card if you want to do. Yeah, so this is Trefairy, Bonecrusher Giants and Brazen Borrowers, a Valky package, Supreme su- Supreme Verdict, and Too Far and Away. That's the deck. Neither of the first or second place decks look like anything I would even remotely have the guts to table in modern. <laughs> Which goes to show how little I know about the format in its present incarnation. Well, I have to wonder if this version will just be the one that also plays the other cards that should not exist in Magic next week, right? Like, if it's like, okay, well, this is the first week with Valky. Everyone's going to try a couple different strategies that all involve cheating him, and we're just going to see which one works the best. And then after a couple weeks, we'll kind of have narrowed it down to there being one or two predominant strategies that are better than the alternatives. Worth pointing out that Gemstone Caverns, which is features here as a two of because it lets you get mana, uh, extra mana early. It, foils are like $200 plus. Yeah. And non-foils are up to pushing $60. 40, and there's now. very few of those left lying around. This is also not a card I expect Wizards to be interested in reprinting anytime soon. So this could be a very expensive land if... Valky is left in this format. Um, yeah, I could. They might. I could see them sneaking this into Modern Horizons two or something. I mean, it's like they're not thrilled to print this, but it is kind of a weird land. And if you're gonna try and print this someplace, it's either that or it's a secret layer. Sure. Not that I'm banking on it, but like, I don't think the chance is zero. Hmm. Yeah. Speaking of secret layers, did you see the Black History Month edition preview cards today? I sure did. The art on all of them is excellent at the very least. So yep. uh, that's very cool. Um, and I have been, you know, with anything like this, I try and reserve judgment until I hear from people who are a little more directly impacted by it. Because, you know, I listen to what they have to say rather than come up with my own opinions. And the uh, impression seems to be pretty positive for, for the most part. So I'm, I'm pleased to see that. Indeed. So looking at the third place list here, it's basically blue-green Wilderness Reclamation Control. Mm-hmm. It's four Ice Fang Quaddle, four Uro, 24 green-blue instants, mostly blue. You got some growth spirals in there. And I think that's it for the green. And then two Wilderness Reclamation, and that's the deck, 26 lands. Sure. Easy enough, I suppose. Uh, seems a little little dry with everything else going on, but uh, it's fine, I suppose. I mean, yeah. worth flagging again, another deck with four-factor fiction in oh, modern yeah. in 2021. Yeah. yeah. Guard is still good. Surprisingly, guard is still good. You know, it's one of those things you wonder if it might have been uh, eclipsed, but apparently not. Making a comeback for sure. Yeah. Black Red Shadow in fourth, pretty standard issue version there. I guess this is more Jun Shadow, not Black Red Shadow. This is Tarmogoyfs are in there. Yeah. 
Yeah. Not the second, not the first time we've seen them recently. I remember we were talking about Goyf last week as well. Yep. Blue Black Mill back in the top eight for Modern in fifth place with the uh, Maddening Cacophony. Is that the card? Yeah. Maddening Cacophony out of uh, Zendikar Rising alongside Glimpse the Unthinkable this time. The question a couple months ago posed on this cast was whether Maddening Cacophony was replacing Glimpse the Unthinkable, but it looks like you just use both of them now. Yeah. Hey, the the Magic Cacophonies, I remember you're uh, a fan of. Did you? Uh, how many of those did you end up picking up? Mm, when we first talked about it, it was because they were dirt cheap, and I think we just talked about it in Collector's Corner. Then later, I think I made an official pick. I don't remember if I actually picked any, any of them up or not. I would imagine I must have, but I, I realized I have like a lot of cards outstanding overseas that need to be brought home so we're going to be working on working on that later this this week and uh we'll see what things i've totally forgotten i purchased show up Mm -hmm. it's like when when you buy overseas like that and then it takes a while for them to show up it's like your own little christmas uh, to yourself there's definitely an unboxing coming at least with my japanese package if not my european one because the japanese one is going to be real spicy you're uh, you're definitely more uh, consistent with buying your pick own picks than I am, just because and not out of any sort of uh, like moral or ethical obligation or lack thereof. Just you're a little more on the ball when it comes to trying to pick that stuff up. I frequently wish I had bought more of my own picks. I, I still miss stuff all the time. Like we were talking in the Discord this week about how Castle Lockthwain extended art foils were starting to push up into a very uh, productive level versus what people could could have picked them up for, for like six or 12 months ago and i'm like oh wow that's a huge win i must have tons of those sitting around and i went digging into the like the holding pen box for black cards and came out with like a thick fistful of non-foil extended art castle lock twains <laughs> couldn't find the foils anywhere <laughs> almost <laughs> i was like i was like those are gonna get there too but it's weird for me of all people to be buying eas before feas i mean all i ever do is call feas on this cast so yeah it was just, some, sometimes you just drop the ball on your own pick maybe you couldn't find the foils at a attractive enough price and you just settled with the non-foils i mean given that i definitely proved some points to myself going in too early on feas September of 2019, I want to say. Is that correct? Yeah, wow, it's been that long. Um, like, I bought, bought Wishclaw Talisman Foil Extended Arts at $60. Those are probably going to pay off over time, like, going to get past that level. But you could have got in on them at, like, 15 <laughs> So, And I also bought showcases from Eldrain before anybody really had a handle on what the drop rates were like on those, more or less on the premise that their art was fantastic, which it is. Um, but they were so plentiful, it was ridiculous to go in on them at pre-order prices. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, how could we, any of us have really known? We couldn't have. Let, let me make the mistakes so that you all don't need to. Uh, <laughs> Merfolk was in sixth here with three glass pool Mimic. Strong EDH card showing up in Merfolk decks. Yeah, this is the, the flip card, the Mimic that's a land. Yep. Yeah. The clone that's a land, yeah. Now, 7th place deck in the Modern Challenge was another form of Velky Control. Pretty similar. Yeah, 4 Teferi, a Bone Crusher Giant, 4 Brazen Borrower, 4 Simeon Spirit Guide, 4 Velky, 3 Supreme Verdict, 2 Warrant and Warden as their We Can Skip Past This. <laughs> and they have 2 Far and Away as well, but they also have 2 Warrant and Warden. I bet you don't even know what that card does. Oh, of course I do. Clack, 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 clack. White, white blue, white, blue. 
instant side, part, put target attacking or blocking creature on top of its owner's library. Warden, three white, blue, create a 4-4 white and blue sphinx creature token with flying and vigilance. I imagine that what you want to do here <clears throat> is attack or block with Velky. Then bounce him to the top of your library, draw and play him as a 7-drop, or just put him on your library and then cascade into him. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Warrant is pretty obnoxious. I mean, bouncing to the top of the library. I mean, that honestly, the warrant could be played purely defensively, perhaps. I sure, but setting that's... setting up one of the things about Valky is if you have if you have it in hand, you can't cascade into it if you don't have the cascade card handy. So you might want to play that early Valky, start messing around with what your opponent is up to, and then later warrant the Valky into position once the cascade card's in hand. Yeah, that seems. I, I, I'm not going to say that doesn't happen. I feel like that's <clears throat> probably an edge case, but the, the, uh, still plausible. I, I really, I, I, my guess would be that this is primarily a inexpensive pseudo removal spell that you can play that doesn't disrupt your um, cascade plan. Right, because you have no access to things like Path of Exile in a deck like <clears throat> in a deck where you're trying to cascade. Yeah, that was always the biggest challenge when in uh, Living End you used to bend over backwards to try and find solutions um of that nature and they have their own little package that at the moment escapes me now the other thing that jumps out at me here is that this deck runs three common deer this is the seven casting cost steal a creature spell where you can remove double pitch cost you can remove two blue cards in your hand from the game rather than paying its cost gain control of target non-creature spell you may choose new targets for it yeah yeah common deer shows up every now and then it's not the most popular card for sure but we do see it pop up every now and then in some of these strategies so you could have a hand here that's like two lands uh two common deer a simian spirit guide and a bone crusher giant or something (laughs) yeah some of these some of these decks seem like the gold fishing makes you occasionally feel absolutely awful like, you fan a hand like that, and you're like, oh my god, what did what, I sit down at this table? What have I got myself into? The thing here, though, though, is that a lot of these these decks that are looking to cascade are just mulliganing, mulliganing until they find the hand they need to get the job done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and if you listen to um, Seth and a few other people, they'll say, hey, you know, part of the problem here with stuff like Valky is the London mulligan. Because it makes it so much easier to like to set up a great hand. Because who cares if you're on a three or a four card hand if you have to look at seven, pick the three cards that you needed to make this cascade combo work, and then throw the rest away. Yeah. Um, the London Mulligan makes decks like this and decks, you know, in, in these comboy decks in general, function a lot better. And I think a lot of a lot of players, especially competitive players, and um, would like to see it go. They just want it tossed out. At least for modern. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I would seems. I mean, it, I would like to say it seems a little weird to have various mulligan rules for different formats, but at this point, nothing feels weird in Magic. So, uh, and I honestly don't think that matters at all. Like by the time you're committed to going to a GP that won't get played until 2022 to play in a format that may or may not exist at that time, 
you're so you've already proven your commitment to the game in the face of any and all negative factors to the contrary so you're probably going to be more than willing to figure out the 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 minor shift in in mulligan rules yeah all right so eighth place in this uh modern challenge over the weekend was hammer time the deck that looks to get colossus hammer in and give a creature plus 10 plus 10 and then hit people upside the head hammer time yep all right so pretty spicy overall in both those challenges uh and a lot of it revolved around valky yeah is it are they spicy or are they just valky sure I mean, a valid question. All right, moving on to the top paper movers of the week. Uh, Let me just start at the top of the list with all the rest of the reserve list. Just think of a bad reserve list card that was way down at the bottom of the barrel that we haven't already talked about in the last two months. It's on the list this week. It doubled, tripled, quadrupled, whatever. Who knows what you'll actually get for them. People in our Discord have been reporting just ridiculous sales on even bad reserve list cards. You know, stuff that used to be sitting in bulk at $1.25 that they're getting $10 for and so forth. So you should definitely pull down a list of reserve list cards. If you are a long-term Magic player, you should definitely go through your collection and figure out what you have sitting around. And you may want to go ahead and either buy list some of that or put it up for sale. You could even, at this point, you could just be like reserve list lot near mint cards and throw a price tag on it on eBay and it'll probably move. <laughs> yeah, that's worth a, worth a shot, I suppose. Take the TC, the posted TCG player prices, knock 30% off that, throw up 30 cards and you'll be surprised at what you just purchased for yourself. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all over the place. And I will tell you that about a week and a half ago... Just over a week and a half ago, I was doing some international shopping and just, you know, I found a bunch of reserve list cards that had good prices on them that were like, like C tier, right? Like C to D tier, you know, when we're talking about some of this other crap, it's like F, G, L tier. Um, And I was like, whatever, the prices are good. The reserve list mania seems to be going. And I I grabbed, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks worth. And I'm feeling pretty decent about it right now, although I don't remember what they were. And I haven't checked their current prices because it's just like across the board. And, I, you know, this is not reserve list, but I have had uh, a couple sealed Mythic editions posted on eBay for quite some time that I put. And I think it was whatever the good Mythic edition was, the price got run up to almost a thousand dollars. And I sold one or two at high rates and kept kept upping the price. Uh, And then there were no more bites and the price just started to come down. But in the last week, I've gotten like three offers on it after not having any bites at all for months. So I think that there is definitely a appetite for all sorts of collectible grade cards in Magic right now. And it might have started with Reserve List, and I wouldn't be surprised to see it spread through a lot of that type of premium sealed product too. Well, there's been the conventional wisdom for years has been you don't bother grading anything that's not on the reserve list and worth X number of dollars because modern cards, there was no market for them to be graded and no premium put on them. But with the the advent of things like the Amano Liliana with the with Jeweled Lotus, I saw Kyle Lopez posting on Twitter today talking he had three copies of 
FE Jeweled Lotus that he was sending in for grading. Um, and now we have the Vorinclex uh, Monstrous Raider Phyrexian Foils. Um, there's pretty good chance, I think, that in the next five years, you're going to see a shift towards modern cards getting graded in greater quantity. Yeah, I mean, you know, part of that is that back in the day, there was no point in grading modern era cards because they weren't, they're, 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 the supply was never that shallow. They were never that unique. They were never that rare, right? Like the the rarest you got was not actually that rare. But now, the you know, that's changed to the point where it's like, oh, some of these are actually very uncommon cards. So, like, it doesn't seem crazy to grade them because they're just much rarer than they would have been before. Yep. All right. So moving right along here, we've got Joraga Warcaller out of Commander 2014 from about six bucks to eight bucks. It's like a 28% gain. Really just flagged because with all the elves focus in Kaldheim, there's been a bunch of kind of medium quality elves cards that have been coming to the forefront. Mm -hmm. uh, likewise, Magda as one of the early favorites for c good commanders coming out of Kaldheim has been moving the price on a bunch of relevant stuff. She can search up dragons. So you see Balefire Dragon from Innistrad going 22 to $30, 37% gains. You also have Hellkite Tyrant from Commander 2016 going 20 to 38. Uh, you still still find some great gate crash copies lying around under 25, but there's not a whole lot of it left. So if both of those dragons fail to catch a reprint they'll probably be able to be able to hold post up and hold a higher plateau well that's the story of dragons right that they usually tend to just keep climbing until they get a reprint and if they don't get a reprint they're you know thirty dollars likewise so go heritage druid out of eternal masters 625 to nine that's 44% gains on Kaldheim Elves focus for sure elvish promenade out of duels of the planeswalker promo edition uh $11 to 16 also about 45%. That's kind of stuff I'd be selling into this because are elves actually going to be played a tremendous amount more in EDH? I sort of doubt it. So kind of stuff I definitely want to sell into the hype cycle. Death Cloud, we talked about last week and misidentified. Uh, just talked about how it had been out of print for a while, but it's actually Turgrid as multiple of our pro traders brought to our attention that is driving this card because Turgrid's all about punishing your opponents for having to sacrifice things and death cloud makes everybody sacrifice things. Mm -hmm. So we had it going up to about $11 this week and then it slid a bit and then moved up again from 10 to 17. That's dark steel version. Foils are up over 70 at this point and unlikely <sighs> to retrace from there since it's the original printing. Yeah. Like keep dreaming. I think, I don't know that I don't, I can't imagine anyone spending that much money. Uh, <laughs> death cloud. Like my God, but, I don't know, crazier things have happened. Uh, oh God, I, what is this stupid card? Rarity? From mm -hmm. the, what is this, the pony stat? Yeah. It's 50 to 90. <laughs> Gross. Let's uh, see. Was... I, called, I called Ponies the Galloping to go 100 to 150 on December 1st, episode 248. We're already there. the The lowest price ponies the galloping on TCG Player is now one is now one seventy five. So we've already exceeded my target by twenty five bucks. If you listen to me, then you are up seventy five bucks a copy minus fees and shipping. 
and the signal singles from the set chasing is just a side effect of uh, needing to move up because I think at the same time I called Nightmare Moon, which is the was kind of like the chase card from of the three from the set. And Nightmare Moon's lowest price on TCG Player is currently $75, heading pretty quickly to 80 and I called that at 50 to go to 80 Boom, we're there. Well, <clears throat> congratulations on your, your awful, awful pick. I'm such a great brony. I know all the ponies. Um, the Halkite Tyrant there, which I think you mentioned before, along with the Bellfire Dragon. Yep. Stomping Ground. Uh, we've got the Masterpiece here. Is this the original one yep. that we're looking at? Original Expedition from Battle for Zendikar. 180 to 350 on these. That's a big jump. I mean, 350 for a Shockland. Damn. The There are three copies of this left on TCG Player. $388, $600, and $857. Okay. Well, I don't think it's a $900 card. Uh, <laughs> I don't also don't really think it's a $350 card. But was it I don't, was it actually 200 before? Co- I wonder if copies were selling. I mean, somebody must I, have paid that I, much for a copy. I know I sold one of these not too long ago. Let me just see what I got for it. Yeah. On... Oh, I guess uh, maybe it was a ways back. April twenty first, twenty nineteen. I sold four of these for three twenty, so eighty bucks a piece. Uh, I mean that's and, that's a far cry from one hundred and eighty. Well, and market price is showing as eighty three. So you can <clears throat> fill in the blanks there that in the interim they were floating in and around that price, and then somebody took a swipe at them pretty hard, and they basically just don't exist now. Well, interesting. I. I, I, this is one of those situations where, like, it seems like this card could have been pretty comfortably sitting at eighty or ninety dollars for quite some time, but somebody decided to push the envelope, and uh, I don't know. I I think they're probably not going to suffer for it, um, given the way the market has moved in general. Seems like it's pretty accept- allowing of that type of malarkey. You know, three hundred fifty dollars isn't going to happen, but I could see one hundred and fifty for them. So here's the thing. <clears throat> they didn't reprint the Shocklands in the Zendikar Rising Expeditions. They only reprinted the Fetchlands. Mm-hmm. So while Fetches are going to get yet another premium printing next summer, presumably alongside Modern Horizons 2, as well as regular copies and pack foils, um, the, the Shocklands only have the original expedition so clearly that's the i would imagine that is the impetus behind whoever decided to you know go after all of these because i would let's just take a look at say watery grave same kind of situation right watery grave expeditions there's currently five results they started a hundred dollars heading to 138 i don't hate snapping off whatever the lowest price copies of this stuff you can get is especially if you can find them somewhere where you have buy list credit on hand uh yeah you know these have taken a lot longer to really move than i would have expect than i expected uh and i say that as somebody who's got a pile of these stupid things uh <laughs> and we had expected them to move faster than they did but this is, appears to be where we are so i'm not going to complain i guess 
I, I guess I, I'm I'm reluctant to assume that it, they have tr- they're really moving because it just feels like I've been waiting forever, and I had kind of chalked that up to like maybe not just just not happening. Um, I mean, what did Foothills the the fetch land still sitting at a hundred bucks with twenty vendors left? I mean, that's a, a fine supply on those. So let me put it this way. I just found three watery graves on card market at a total of 203 euros. So that's roughly 85-ish US. I'm going to go ahead and snap those off because unless they show up as part of VIP boosters part two premium borderless alongside Modern Horizons 2, I'm not really sweating it. And something tells me that putting both fetch lands and shock lands in that situation would be unlikely yeah yeah i i would agree with that looks like um but it looks like overgrown tombs might be the play here i see you know i'm looking at tcg players best selling list on the zen expeditions and it's misty rainforest polluted delta verdant catacombs at you know you go 350 250 220 and then overgrown tomb down the 88 bucks and then Steam Vents jumped back to 120, Breeding Pools 150, Ancient Tomb 150. So Overgrown Tomb might be underpriced here. I have a sneaking suspicion. Well, and I just found four of those on card market at 62 euro a piece. So oh, but hundred dollars shipping. That's always the that's always the kicker <laughs> on on card market is that <laughs> that pesky hundred dollar shipping. <laughs> Dang. Oops. That so close. So close to being a successful play. Uh, B- bottom line, I fully expect these to hollow out. And it, it drives home a point I've been trying to make to pro traders as this topic comes up frequently whenever they announce some new premium thing. And people are talking about like, oh, should I hold my uh, Masterpiece uh, Invention Soul Rings? They're, we're totally going to get go back to Kaladesh. We're going to get Inventions Part 2. There will definitely be a Soul Ring there. And my response to that is, not only will there be a soul ring there, you'll get two or three other premium soul rings along the way in the intervening two, three, four years headed towards that whenever that pops back up. But you know what? It's not going to matter. The I don't believe that the $100 uh, version of the next invention soul ring is going to matter at all for the original copy because even if that art, the new art is fantastic, the original art is also fantastic. And... There just aren't that many copies lying around that aren't already permanently absorbed into collections. Like I would argue that something like 99.6% of all Masterpiece Soul Rings are now sitting in collections never to return. And when you get to a certain point, the two things are no longer, like the new version is no longer a replacement good for the original. The original isn't just a Soul Ring. It is a specific Soul Ring that collectors and people with a preference or people that just want to have the most expensive version of a thing might decide to chase. Now, obviously, Alpha and Beta compete in the in the case of that particular card, but all of the above will have appeal to various segments of the market. And when you get to the point where you only have five listings of something on TCG Player, it just doesn't matter anymore because they're never going to get replenished. And in fact, all the new versions do is reinforce that that particular version is not getting a reprint. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like, if they announce tomorrow that there's going to be a secret layer lily on a Dreadhorde General, I am 0% worried, negative percent worried about my Amano lilies. It, it almost seems like it might create a 
a culture of collection for that card too. Like, oh, there are like six premium soul rings. I'm going to collect all of them. Like it, like that would be a cool thing to have. Like, oh, I'm gonna have a different ultra premium soul ring in each deck. Like, it's my own little collection of cards of you know cards here. Yeah. Oh, here's a little a little trick I just executed on card market. Remember the overgrown tombs with the hundred dollar shipping? Yes. So you go ahead and cut two of them out of your cart, and the shipping drops to eight bucks. Yeah, I remember doing that when I shopped on MCM. And then you go ahead and add the other two back to your cart, and you check out, and do it again. And then what's going to happen is that vendor is going to combine that shipping. And you're actually only going to pay, pay the reduced shipping once. Yeah, it's it's because if you have a certain over a certain value, it forces it to some like tracked signature thing, right? And that drives the price wild. So yeah. you put it in so that it go gets underneath MCM's like mandatory threshold for like super ultra tracked shipping, and then sneak in the extra copies after the fact, and then the vendor can send it like a normal package and not be required yeah i did that a couple times i remember well and then then what happens is they because you haven't paid yet like if you don't have the money already in your account then and you're going to pay after the fact then those two orders will end up getting automatically combined because they're from the same vendor Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i (laughs) well there you go there's a little tip for all of our listeners out there you can uh play some games with mcm's shipping well, it just saved me 60 euros. Actually, more than that. Saved me 90 euros and opened the play to actually being successful instead of being unattainable. Yeah, I mean, that that's, saving $90 on shipping will do that. Did I did I mention that Pro Trader is $79.99 per year? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, moving right along here. Uh, a little bit more to explore in the top paper movers. We've got... Uh, Phyrexian Arena foils as the stand-in this week for the hu- literally hundreds of old foils that have also been targeted. The, the the keyword of the season is just scarcity, and people are clearly targeting just whatever cannot be replenished. In this, you know, two years of not having buy listing in person, for the most part, largely across the globe, the, the scenario could not be any crazier for all of this stuff to be difficult for vendors to get back in hand. It's one thing for them to pull in a core 21 rare, quite another to pull in a foil Phyrexian arena. If they have a greatly reduced, uh, in-person availability for buy listing. And then you've got stimulus checks. You've got crypto madness. You've got the general hype cycle for nostalgia plays and collectibles during COVID and on so on and so forth. It's just a perfect storm. So yeah, Phyrexian Arena original foils from Apocalypse. You got one of those hanging around. They might be worth over 300 bucks. I don't know if I do. I don't remember. I know I have some Phyrexian Arena. I don't know. Uh, I, I do wonder um, if some of these real wild prices we're getting right now are going to... Come back to Earth a little bit. 
or, or how much of it is attributable to COVID and the supply chain, the, 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 yeah, the supply chain being disrupted at the vendor level? And if once you get into 2022 and we're in full swing again and vendors are gathering cards up at a normal rate, if you're going to see some of this stuff kind of compress a little bit because it turned out that was like a more significant component of this than we realized it was. I mean, we're giving it credit, but I wonder if like it's even more than we think about. We'll see if if and when GPs ever regain regain consciousness or the LGSs seem to be able to open safely, which seems really bad, like a real bad idea right now. Yes, that's not stopping people from doing it, but it still continues to be a bad idea. Because I'm just not going to go to an FNM where I'm going to have to have a fight with at least four people in the room about how their mask is down below their nose. Yep. And I would presume there's a good bit of that. And a lot of people in the magic community are jerks. And even if they install plexiglass shields, Mm. the ventilation in the room is just not going to be enough, especially against the the South African and and UK variants of COVID and whatever future variants may present themselves and be even worse. And anyone... Anyone who's played in in a, in a variety of card stores knows how gross and grimy and unhygienic those environments can be. And I don't think they suddenly got good because COVID showed up. People talked for years about going to a GP and coming back like with a bad cold or a flu on a regular basis. You think it's <laughs> that should tell you everything you need to know about the much more dangerous virus currently in circulation? Yeah, what was it called? It was uh, there was a term for it. it was convention GP flu or whatever convention. Convention cold or something like that. There's a specific term for it. Mm. Anyway, uh, Dowsing Dagger. Buy a box promo from Ixalan. This is one of the foil flip lands that turns into a real sexy map land. Uh, probably the fifth or sixth priority on that list. This one uh, seems awkward on the surface because it, you make, you give your, uh, you give an opponent plant tokens. Then you you got to equip the dagger to something and get in for a hit, and then you can flip it right. Yeah, it's some work. Let me just double check that. It, it you have to you have to damage a player with the equipment, um, and it gives you tokens when it comes into play. But you, I mean, you're probably not using the tokens to try and deal the damage. If you're playing Dowsing Dagger, I presume you are sneaking it in with um, like a Rogue's Passage or something like that. I mean, the highest synergy card. Oh, actually, the high. Well, the high synergy for this is Elves. In fact, I just pulled up Dowsing Dagger and on EDA track and went to the synergy section. And uh, oh wait, no, this is not what I want. Oh no, this stupid <sighs> EDA track still has a couple kinks to work out. Uh, the high synergy cards for Dowsing Dagger are equipment commanders, it would seem. Sure. So I don't see anything super sneaky in here. Well, is this a Magda card then? Because. Can Magna search up in enchantments? Remind me. I mean, uh, equipment. Oh, is that? Yeah, she can. Uh, she can search your library for an artifact or dragon card when she sacks five treasures. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who would ever search for Dowsing Dagger. I think it's just if you're playing a deck that's making use of equipment, Dowsing Dagger is probably solid because there's plenty of equipment that makes it sneaky and unblockable. And uh, I mean, you get to flip it into a. Like, I mean a. a reusable black lotus i guess is what i'm gonna call this so pretty pretty good when you flip it 
Also worth floating the idea that I, I did notice this in my research coming into the episode this week that Arden, intrepid archaeologist out of Commander Legends, um, available in uncommon foil etch status, I suppose. At the beginning of combat on your turn, you may attach any number of auras and equipment you control to target permanent or player. This is a partner card, two and a white for 2-2. Two, two. That's in 495 reported total partner decks, which is, I think, the highest of any of the partners thus far. Uh, Zakashima. Uh, no, Sakashima is at seven thirty nine. Yeah. So I guess second after Sakashima. So, but still, a, quite a high number, and the kind of deck where you might run the Dazzling Dagger. The the payoff for all this dancing around with the dagger is you flip it, and then it it taps for three mana. <laughs> yeah, it's a Black Lotus Land. Yeah. Which is uh, unsurprisingly pretty good. So if you if you're in a go wide strategy, a dagger the dagger's not crazy, especially if you're go wide and want to be ramping. Like if part of your go wide is that you've got some kind of something to pump lots of mana into to go wider and wider or to be replenishing after wipes, then yeah, I can see that running the dagger for sure. And the bottom line is there's just hardly any of these lying around. I mean, we, we flagged most of the top four or five of these at various points, uh, starting with Goring Rights of Illamok, and I sold a couple of those recently and all of these are gonna are going to, the good ones, are going to disappear given enough time. It's actually amazing. the The search for Azconta was well over a hundred dollars at one point, and was a pick on this cast, when, especially when it was big, big, big and standard. And you can get those buy box promos for search for search now for twenty two dollars on TCG Player with twenty eight listings left. Damn. That seems like a real like the ramp on this is insane. It goes Close from down. twenty to thirty in a hurry and thirty. Yeah, but not really because there's. It's not like you've got three hundred people backed up to sell it at twenty. You just got some people that have had it sitting around for a while. It hasn't moved, so they've undercut each other by a couple bucks each time, and it's built this ridiculous ramp that runs from twenty to seventy in a hurry over the course of like fifteen or twenty copies. Those could easily be a buy at this point. Like if you don't already own a buy a box search. You can find plenty of use for this in EDH, and it's a gorgeous. Those maps on the back are gorgeous flip cards. <laughs> yeah, so. they kind of they it, it had a lot of steam at one point, and it, it slowed down a little bit. It kind of fell out of favor. Um, in in or, constructed. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I don't remember exactly what it was that triggered it. Uh, that might have been around the time that Oakle got printed, actually. But. Um, but keep in mind, Search for Azkanta on EDH Rec is an 11,000 decks. 4% of all blue decks run it. So yeah. it, to me, that looks like insane value at 20 bucks. Oh, yeah. I mean, the card is still very good. I guess it was it was big. It was like a multi-format. It was looking like a Valky type of card. You know, Well, well it, was, not, not it certainly, was, certainly wasn't standard. And it showed up in Modern for a while, pre, pre-Pioneer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It had cross-format play for a good chunk of time, and I I don't think it's bad now. I just mean, like, it seems to be more EDH than the other formats at this point. In any case, uh, yes, I would agree that that's a cool-looking card, and I wouldn't mind having one or two of those floating around. Yep. All right, so moving right along here. Uh, I guess the only other things to talk about on here are the seven dwarves foils that avail drain dollar to five dollars. That's driven by Magda for sure. There just aren't enough dwarves to run in Magda, so yeah. you might just run all seven for for meme value. I mean, if you're playing Magda, you're pretty much already here to have a good time, right? Like you're you're this is not a serious deck. 
it's a nice little bump because if you open Throne of Eldraine uh, collector boosters, they were some of the hardest to mine value from, given all the bannings and the the fact that you kind of had to hit the you had to hit the heavy hitters to really get uh, the value out of those boxes. Especially since I think those boxes pumped to over three hundred in late October of that year. Um, so you, if you cracked a bunch of those, you probably have, you know, a handful of foil seven dwarves sitting around that you were just sitting in your bulk that you could yank out and try to throw up as a lot on eBay. Yeah. It's hard to be upset about just having some, some freebies like that. And then finishing this list off with all the cascading going on around Velky, you've got violent outburst foils going from like $2 to 15 for 500% gains. That's a, a Lara reborn foil. That's a, that's an old one. Foil Common. I can't remember if those showed up in those all-foil packs that were running around Walmarts at the time. Uh, I feel like that was... I can't remember if that was all the entirety of Alara Block or just one of the specific sets. I'd have to double-check on was, that. It was the whole block. It was the whole block, and the they were all mixed together in those packs. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that made the foils those from those sets... Uh, bad value long before they increased the foil drop rate everywhere it's kind of weird that they didn't learn the lesson there (laughs) well what's what's uh, what's kind of funny about that is that probably impacted their premium card strategy for quite a while because they put out this like you know ideally premium card special product the booster packs were like 15 bucks or something like that back when the when booster packs were three dollars so the the price point was quite high and you got all these cool foils and people did not care for them and wizards probably said okay there's not a market for people wanting to pay more money for cool cards and they chilled on it and then it wasn't until it took a while before they really started to embrace that strategy again they dipped their toes in again, basically with co- the Comic-Con promos was probably roughly where you started to see them get back into that, which was quite several, several years later. All right. So moving on to Magic Online Movers of the Week. Um, this started moving more like 10 days ago, but we should still flag it. Velky got kicked off around 30 tickets and is currently in the mid-80s. Now, if you know Magic Online, for a Mythic in a set that's being heavily drafted to be in the mid-80s is a really rare situation. (laughs) And also means that people could get short squeezed that have been trying to short this card. Because if you got in on this card at 75 ticks, hoping it was going to drop like a stone back towards 30, you're still waiting. And you're probably going to get called in on your cards and you might need to cover, which is pretty funny, getting short squeezed on Magic cards. Uh, you, you think these guys would learn their lesson. You know, you look at what happened with GameStop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, someone online was like, oh, you know what? Let's just repeat this and let's make Valky really popular and get all these really rich Magic Online shorters. I don't know. It's It still needs to drop. It still need, yeah, I mean, it still needs to drop heavily. It's just a question of what the timeline is going to be. In the interim, I mean, if, if you have some Valkys you can crack in a draft, I'm absolutely a seller, you know, within the next week. You know, even if it gets up to 90 or 95 ticks, that's like a hundred, like you're talking about 80 to $85 after the trans, the uh, exchange to us dollars. If you uh, crack that in the draft, you're well ahead. So make sure you get out on time and don't wait six weeks. I mean, I don't know this, this is going to go for both moto and paper. Uh, I, and I, but I, and I don't know the magic online market nearly as well as paper. Um, but if you have a card that's an, 80 dollar or 80 ticket mythic 
in standard in the current draft set, the price can't stay there because if it's that good, they're going to get rid of it. Like they're not going to let a card that good hang around. So like, well, you you, you say that, but good. you say that, but Uro still isn't banned in as many formats as people want it to be. Well, <laughs> so. he, he, this is true. He's also not eighty. He's not eighty tickets, right? He's probably what thirty or forty or something. I, I don't know what Uro's peak was, but I don't think it was this high. Yeah, um, I'd have to double check. Archeon of Amiria, we called going uh, like doubling up last week, and it's kept pushing. It's like five or six times up now since maybe fourteen days ago. 0.56 tickets to over one uh, 80% gains. It's still in white taxes stuff in various formats, including winning a vintage challenge not too long ago. Brazen mm-hmm. Borrower, borrower we, sh- we saw show up, showing up in those Valky lists in Modern. It went from 13.5 tickets to over 27 for 100% gains. That's a nice one. Uh, Luminarch Aspirant from 0.19 to 0.39 out of uh, standard lists running white cards. And then Nighthawk Scavenger similarly from 0.13 to 0.39, I think, on the back of the rogue lists. Okay, so some some action there overall. The um, Man Valky, though, 80 bucks, geez. Yeah, that's a lot. All right, so paper cards to watch this week. Uh, I got some tasty ones and some stuff that's worth a discussion, that's for sure. Uh, Balefire Dragon. This is just an arbitrage play. You can pick these up over in Europe around $40. And over here uh, on TCG Player, you're looking at the lowest priced copy at $57, 57 60 65 heading for 70 in a hurry. 12 results total left on these. These are from Ultimate Masters Box Toppers. Not too many of those running around at this point. And Magda, of course, is driving people to pick up this card. So uh, I think we're in a, you're in a pretty good position for these to dry up and go, say, 40 to 70 if you snap them off in Europe. Uh, they're covered by CK credit already at $60 credit. So relatively little risk bringing them over from Europe. Yeah, I mean, dragons are pretty much usually never really a bad choice. Um, Balefire Dragon is a good one, and if the arbitrage play is there, then it's hard to argue with it. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to argue with that myself. I wanted to pick um, a dragon myself this week. I was thinking about the Leyline Tyrant that Jason talked about last week. The uh, foil extended arts on those, but supply is way too deep on those at the moment. Okay. What's uh, your first choice this week? Um, I'm going to start with uh, Fintorn Elves out of the Commander Legends. I had to double do did a d- double take because I felt like we had talked about this as a pick, but it's not recorded. I think we had mentioned it offhand as possibly coming down the line, and I think you're pretty much there. Um, the pack, f- the the Commander Legends extended art foils on Finhorn Elves are twenty seven thousand. Uh, I'm sorry, are about six bucks right now. Um, they're in 27,000 EDA track list. It's the 30 most popular green card. Um, there's about 33 vendors with copies right now. No one's got deep stock on it. There are no better versions of Fintorn Elves. We've been talking, you know, every week about Commander Legends foils, how we like them, how, you know, our biggest, our biggest fear was uh, additional inventory inventory hitting the market but the more the longer we go the less concerned we are about that so um i think this is a card that's going to treat you well it's going to be popular in edh decks it's popular in cubes um it's popular in a lot of different places so if you can grab these at six bucks i think somewhere 
this year, I probably possibly the first half of this year, you could see these up around $20. Yeah, I, I buy this easily, given the popularity of the card and and the relative lack of inventory. The, the, the two threats on all of the foil extended arts from Commander Legends continue to be more inventory showing up, which at this point I'm fairly convinced that if that happens, it will be Wizards breaking the mold. It will be them saying, there's definitely a market to re-release this product this spring. We can make some extra money on it. If they can get the printer time and they decide that it doesn't interfere with their other hype cycles, it's a maybe. Relatively low chance. It's pretty tough given all the other stuff that's on the agenda. Keep in mind, generally speaking, going back to the well on older product is not going to be as appealing for them as keeping to the schedule for the year because they don't want any of the new stuff to underperform. But... It's a risk. Uh, it could happen. The The other thing is that most players are very dissatisfied, usually in, in keeping with whatever the humidity level is in their homes, with <laughs> the foil extended arts uh, curling, more or less. I live, in, I live in Curacao, and I'm really angry that all my foils are warping. <laughs> yeah. Curacao, for those unfamiliar, is uh, a, I don't even know where the hell it's located, a very tropical climate where there's a ton of sports betting organizations set up and a fair number of like Hall of Fame caliber magic players ended up in Curacao all working for the same sports betting company. So there was like a really outsized representation of that country in the magic community. Like, It's basically an island just off the coast of Venezuela. Venezuela, okay. So north north end of South America. I, at one point, I think like 4% of Curacao's population was former magic professionals. <laughs> yeah. The other 16, 16% was dolphins. The, <laughs> the bottom line is that they do curl. You can humidify them. If you have them, I recommend putting them in a perfect fit with the open end down into a uh, loose sleeve into a top loader. And storing your inventory that way, storing your collection that way. And if you know that you're in a relatively dry climate, you just need to understand that those things are definitely going to curl if you don't double or triple sleeve them. Um, you can humidify them and fix them, but anything that can be, anything whose shape can be changed by humidity levels can shift back the other way if you re expose it to the original Wait. dryness. Wait, wait, wait. I thought the whole point was that you didn't want them to get humid. No, it depends. It depends. With with Commander Legends cards, you want you want to humidify them. We, we published an article that you, you clearly haven't read the, uh, a couple weeks ago where uh, the technique that our pro traders developed to fix the cards that are heavily curled is you basically put them in a humidity chamber. You just put like some water, like a damp cloth at the bottom of like a Tupperware and put the card up on top. Where, and make sure that there's not enough moisture in there that it's actually going to condense and drip down on the card. And you don't even have to leave it in there for that long, and it will more or less flatten it out. Because th these cards were clearly, uh, were probably made in Dallas uh, in a relatively humid environment during the late summer, early fall. And this winter, if you're in a particularly dry climate, all the people we talked to, uh, in the Pro Trader Discord, we're in very dry environments that we're having the biggest problems. And one of the guys like tested his humidity, and it was insanely low in his house. Um, so yeah, hu humidity is what fixes Commander Legends cards. Foils. It's so so odd to me because the, the guys 
I vividly remember the guys in Curacao ta- mentioning that like you could not own foils and it, oh, this was like tropical, right? Like nearly rainforest levels that you could not own foils down there because it would just, they would turn into cardboard. Well, tubes. but that, like, that's also true, but it would, it would curl the card in the opposite direction. That like, if you overheat, uh, expose the cards to humidity, they'll go back the other way. So, that, I'm sure that is still true of Curacao and pretty much everywhere near the equator and anywhere that's just moist. I mean, I wouldn't want to have them in the Louisiana Bayou either. Um, I also wouldn't want to be in a Louisiana Bayou for entirely <laughs> different reasons. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, you can you can fix them for sure, uh, but it's not necessarily a permanent fix depending on what their future exposure is. It's also worth noting that the etched foils from Commander Legends are a whole different process and they seem very resistant to curling. Um and I also had somebody in Europe tell me, like a vendor in Europe, tell me that they thought the mythic foil extended arts weren't as bad as the rares, but I haven't actually tested that myself yet. Huh. Because maybe okay. those, maybe those, she- maybe the the humidity was different on the floor when they were printing the mythic sheets or something. It's hard to say. Yeah, that's seems weird that that would be the case, but I it, it could happen. I I suppose treat that comment as total nonsense until proven otherwise. But the etched foils are are certainly much much safer. Um, all right, so moving right along here, this is a very speculative pick with high risk. So let's just state that up front. Vorinclex monstrous raider foil Phyrexian foil is the chase card out of Cal time. You can get it in all the formulations of the product. It is not unique to the collector booster boxes. You can get them in regular boxes and in set booster boxes, but the drop rates in those two formulations seem to be much lower than they are in the collector booster boxes where there's a dedicated slot that, sh- that shares a bunch of different things that could show up. Um, so in CBs, you're going to have a better drop rate on them. There just aren't that many of these lying around. Like, there's something like 30 listings on TCG Player right now. Uh, let me see. 32 listings so far, and the lowest prices are just under $200. It held steady throughout the entire weekend on TCG. And keep in mind, this is the heaviest cracking period for the set. You would expect this price to have been driven down. We were speculating in the Discord that it could get as low as $100 or something never got there on any platform that I saw. Most retailers have this posted closer to 250 if not 300 Some of them are already sold out. The On eBay, uh, Alexis Jansen in our Discord and myself both had sent in uh, offers to somebody who had an eBay copy at like 185 and they sent us back offers at 175 and she snapped it off ahead of me. And that's the lowest paid price i've seen anywhere somebody said they got some copies on facebook about 185 which makes sense given the facebook discount um but it's been holding steady around 200 and more importantly the heruya buy list on these is 400 dollars. just a little under that it's like 40,000 yen which is like 380 us or 390 or something so it, at minimum, <laughs> I could put this in my pile of things that it, I might cart to, to Japan to pay for a trip in 2022. I picked up three copies today speculatively because I got tired of staring of the ta- at the tab open in my browser that didn't seem to be moving much in either direction. 
And I I am definitely curious whether this is the next five hundred dollars chase card. I, <laughs> like a year ago, my opinion on this would have been different. But after Jeweled Lotus just basically made me look stupid, I I'm inclined to just say yes. Like yeah, like it's it's the stupid card is going to be worth this much money because jeweled Lotus showed that there is absolutely an appetite there for these very rare cards and to drive prices wild. Um, and on a card that like it honestly really truly is not that good. Uh, the, you know, what are they like a grand or some such nonsense now? So Warren Clack's a card that's actually useful and good and probably uh, so at least in the same general ballpark of rarity as the foil extended archival Lotus is right. Like, like maybe, I mean, it could be five times as common, but still like very, very, very rare. Uh, if we're talking about talking about going the two to 300, like, yeah, I, I think that's very plausible. Um, my I voiced concerns last week about it possibly showing up again, again with the Fraxian language down the road, but that it would probably take some time to get. Like I don't think Wizards would roll that out right away. Um, my Elish Nor example, there was a three year gap. So two hundred bucks for these, I, I that's seems fine, right? Like I just it. I, it's risky, but I don't think you're it's you're gonna get punished too hard. I'm the first to admit I can end up getting burned here. It can drop to a hundred. I can end up being right in the long term, but still bleeding value out of that situation. If you're risk averse, this is not your spec. Yeah. <laughs> because this you know, them dropping these kinds of chase cards in the set, first of all, I suspect that this is part of a trend line. We're gonna see this set after set now. Uh, I, I said while we were talking to Jason that I think you're going to get additional Phyrexian Praetors in this style, like another one in, in Strixhaven and so forth. We talked about Jin uh, Jitaxis attacking Harry Potter school and so forth. Um, and as soon as they announce the second one, people are going to be like, oh shit, it's a series. And they're going to go back looking for the old one. <laughs> Remember when we said that about that uh, alternate art Flooded Strand? <laughs> yeah and then they never printed anymore didn't they do one more nope 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 they only nope they only did that flooded strand i actually made money on that flooded strand but i did get caught caught with some copies that didn't sell i could have sworn they did one other one but they were tied to like the regional ptqs or something yeah and, but, and, but and it was like then there were no more they dismantled right? they like, dismantled that system but they only ever did one hmm i have to go look that up uh yeah, I agree. It, it I, you don't do this if you're risk averse. Obviously, in a two hundred dollars, right? Like, what are you gonna do? Or it's not for people who are faint of heart. But uh, some, a couple of people out there with GameStop money are gonna take a gamble because they can, <laughs> and they're they're gonna get paid again, basically. I again, I let me make the mistake so you don't have to. <laughs> but keep your eyes on this card because if somebody just works out a deal to dump a bunch of these in Japan this week, which could easily happen. Keep in mind that many of the biggest like hustlers in Magic, their you know their Silk Road, as it were, is exporting stuff like this to Japan and then picking up cheap EDH staples and sending them back the other way. 
So, <clears throat> and reserve list and whatever back in the direction of Japan. So, with Haruya's buy list set this high, it's going to drain some copies. Now, not everybody has easy access to that buy list, and it's notorious for only giving you that price on uh, truly mint copies. So, that's all worth taking into consideration. But if you see the inventory drop from 30 listings to 20 and 20 to 15, and you're still seeing 200 to $210 copies lying around, you might want to rethink it, your position if you were holding back. Now, if it goes the other way, if you see it go from 30 copies to 60 in the next couple of weeks, and it starts dropping five bucks at a time down into like the 155 zone, then by all means, let that play out and let me get burned and you be in, <clears throat> in a position to snap them off at 125. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> But I, I'll tell you this much. I'm convinced that this card will be Chase. I don't know if you're going to double it in six months, you know, get to the 306 months or it's going to take three years. Don't have that crystal ball in front of me at, at present because this is setting a, a relatively new precedent for a standard set Chase card. And they tried this with the Teferis in the summer and it didn't really go anywhere. They all collapsed. Well, yeah, but like that wasn't that the, they gave you seventeen different copies of Teferi, but none of them were cool. Like they were just they were all fine. Like all the alt all arts were were fine, but not exciting. Just it was just it was like the worst way to do something like that. The card wasn't that great, and the versions weren't that great. Sure, and th- and this leans into a thing that is more of a big deal. Like the people we already have the. Uh, Elish Norn, Judge Foil, Phyrexian being a card that's on the move. I had like three different people contact me on eBay for the copy I have posted there asking if it was gradable. (laughs) Playing into our earlier discussion about modern cards being graded more often. Uh Uh, And I suspect you're going to see the same thing with this Vorinclex if if it's part of a cycle, which it seems like they have every reason to pursue. Um, So let me be wrong at 200, but keep your eye on the card because if you can get it even cheaper, all the better. Well, I will tell you, I have not looked up the uh, the price on that Elish Norn recently, but I I do idly wonder if that's supposed to be a buy at the moment. Well, it was a buy when I called it last spring or whatever. The currently you're looking at lowest price copy on TCG Player, twelve results total, three eighty two. Probably headed for five hundred and not too long. It was when I remember it was over seven hundred dollars at one point mm-hmm. before the second wave uh honestly that doesn't seem bad at all um worth considering it was one of several things that i exited out of via ck credit last winter that is paying off huge i got seven masterpiece soul rings at 350 which seemed like barely something that was going to hold like would just basically be a parody value play at the time but now those things are pushing question marks like 600 uh, the soul ring specifically yeah. you're D- saying? Didn't we, uh, didn't we establish that you were one of only three people left on those? Uh, yes, I was. I don't know if I still am. There's six listings on TCG Player for Masterpiece Soul Rings. Lowest current price is 752 And you are in fourth at 788 Yeah, I know I was up over 700 It was around there. Um, and, and keep in mind, people, that three years ago... Three? Either three or four years ago, we told people to go buy those in Europe at like $78 or something. That's 10, yeah. ten times return in four years. <laughs> uh... And people were like, you're crazy to go buy masterpieces in Europe. Why would you wait and go through all that trouble? 
All right. Uh, my second pick this week uh, seems worse after James crapped on the idea of it earlier. But uh, Vanquisher's Banner. This is the artifact out of Ixalan. Uh, it is a five mana artifact. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you choose a creature type. And then creatures of that type get 1-1. One, one. And when you cast a creature of that type, you draw a card. So uh, if you're playing an elf deck, this is quite useful. The synergy with elf decks is very high. Uh, pumps up all your little guys. And getting to draw every time you cast an elf is pretty significant. It's in 25,000 decks, actually. So it seems like it's very popular across <laughs> that's, tribal. That's plenty. Yeah, across tribal appeal, regardless, this isn't limited to elves. There's only 23 vendors for the foils. Uh, and then there are a couple other for the other two versions. This is from that era where you have the pack foil, the pre-release foil, and like that promo foil that I, I don't remember where exactly that came from, but it's the one with a Planeswalker stamp on it. Um, so you, you know, the supply is okay-ish. Uh, the non-foils on this are 10 bucks already. Um, and the foils are 15, which is a pretty small gap here uh, for a card of this popularity. I think you can buy these at 15 and probably look to out them at 25 uh, this year, I would say, 2021. Sometimes these tribal cards drag a little longer and it might push into next year. But I think, you know, if you ha if you buy these, a couple of these now and you're in February or March next year and they've only kind of moved, you can probably just out them to a buy list for a little more credit than you paid for and just take cut your losses. Not even cut your losses, except a small margin and move on with your life. Um, but I do think there's a possibility that these get up to 25 or 30. Vanquisher's Banner, non-foil, was available in January 2018 at the cost of about $1.75. It currently buy lists at Card Kingdom at the promo pack version specifically is all they want at $9.50 to $12.35 credit. $9.50 cash, $12.35 credit. Hmm. The straight up foil is $11 cash, $14.30 credit. How much credit? 14.3. Oh, so like what you're paying for it right now, basically. Basically covered. I think the, the primary risk on this card is it's the kind of thing that fits well into a secret layer theme. Like they could have a, a secret layer called Implements of War or something, and it could be a bunch of like, whatever, cool, cool. <laughs> Fabric on wood staves. <laughs> well, no, just like, <laughs> not just, it would be like one would be an, a sword equipment and one would be this and one would be a mask or like, or whatever. It'll just be a bunch of like stuff that that looks like it was used in battles. Yeah. Or it could be one of a million other cards, and this could that this could not show up until a secret layer in 2028. Like there's there's no guarantee this is coming down the pipe. It doesn't look like a huge priority. You'll definitely see it in commander decks here and there. Like at the current price point, they can slip one of these into commander 2021 decks this spring, which are the only ones where they seem willing to insert value. If you look at the what they've been doing with the two decks that come out with all the other standard sets, they and also Commander Legends, they tend to be of lo like deliberately lower value. Um, but there is still the annual uh, set of decks. Like we'll get five somewhere around April or May, I believe. That this kind of thing can show up, but again, not in foils. Now I'm, I am a little surprised that we're this far along the way and they still haven't started putting premium stuff in Commander decks. If I was them. That would be the next logical step. I would just start doing premium versions of new cards and randomly insert them in one in ten decks or something. And 
watch how fast those fly off the shelves in in that scenario. Yeah, there does, you know, for all of their, you know, premium productization, there do seem to be a couple of missing links that they could be capitalizing on harder. Well, like you have things like in the set from last year, you have all the free spells, your defect- deflecting swats and what have you. And four of the, and Deadly Rollick and the, the blue one whose name escapes me, but it's already made me plenty of money. Um, have a premium version of those that shows up in one in 10 decks. <laughs> People will go crazy for those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be cool. It would be something. Yep. It'd be something anyways. Be something. I like this pick. Uh, all it needs to do is dodge some reprints. And given what's on the agenda for the rest of the year, not all that much danger. Yeah, I, I, I think you're, it's possible, but I'm not, I'm not sweating it. All right, I like this next one. Coma... Cosmo Serpent Showcase Foil Mythic out of uh, all the Caldheim products because showcases are not at all limited to collector booster boxes. So there's going to be a lot more of these around than something like a foil extended or gold span dragon or whatever it's called. Um, but the showcase art for Caldheim is very, very nice. Coma Co- Cosmo Serpent was play, what p- featured prominently in the most recent version of uh, Game Nights, where they were showcasing cards from Kaldheim. The, the card basically took over the game as the commander, but it could just as easily show up in the 99. I could see playing it in Atraxa uh, tokens and anything where you're going to be able to proliferate because he's making a... Well, I may as well read the whole card. Three double green, double blue, six six. This spell can't be countered. At the beginning of each upkeep everybody's upkeep create a 3-3 blue serpent creature token named coma's coil sacrifice another serpent which are are the aforementioned coils for the most part choose one tap target permanent its activated abilities can't be activated this turn or coma gains indestructible until end of turn so good luck luck sweeping coma off the table and the showcase art looks amazing and more to the point, these are going for $20, holding relatively steady on TCG Player. I would imagine over time, given that they're in all the product formulations, these might fade down to the $12 to $15 range. But over in Europe, you can already get them at 10.5 euros, which is going to work out to, depending on who you get a, brick, a small brick from, probably going to work out to 12 or 13 US, maybe as high as 14, depending on how quickly you act. Uh, I like these for the long term. Keep in mind that Showcase Foil Mythics have not... There haven't been that many that were a big deal. In Eldraine, where they debuted Showcases, I think the only one was the the White Wrath Giant that basically saw no play. Coma is a lot better than that. And doesn't see have huge stats on EDH Rec yet, but I, I cannot see how this will not just be one of the many good Sultai monsters that we'll see medium play over time at EDH. And the card itself is a collector's piece just from how sexy the look and feel of the card is. It's a very cool looking card. Um, I don't doubt that at all. I'm like a little lukewarm on the card's ability. It didn't really strike me. Um, when we saw it, but you know, I admit that you know, it's I can certainly be wrong about that type of thing. I've been wrong in the past, and I'll be wrong in the future. Um, you know, if, if Game Nights made it look good, then maybe it's better than I'm giving it credit for. Uh, I, I admit I don't think I noticed that it was every upkeep that you get the serpent token, which definitely matters. 
uh, well, and if you're difference. and if you're under a doubling season or one of the other green effects that doubles your tokens, it right. gets it gets out of hand real quick. And they one of the the things that happened in the episode was they used Sakashima to copy it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and I was gonna say as I look at that and I'm like, eh, this doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But I'm th- but in the meantime, I'm thinking like, well, like. But I guess if you have some other serpent generations, like suddenly you can have just like way too many of these stupid things. You can literally and play serpent generator. Yeah. But, yeah oh, no, no, oh, you probably yeah. can't because it makes snakes, not serpents. Oh, uh, hmm, that is interesting. But I, I was thinking about the fact that I'm like, oh, maybe this is actually pretty gross once you get a couple extra effects running that, that put more of these into play and suddenly, you know, nobody can get through it. <laughs> yeah, um, Serpent Generator doesn't make ser- Serpent Tokens, unfortunately. It makes Poison uh, Snake Tokens. That seems like an errata that needs to happen. Oh, it looks uh, like it looks like they did errata it, but it's Colorless Snake Artifact Creature Token now. Oh, well, okay, so... Still doesn't help oh, us. Yeah, well, do it again. Uh, okay, but I mean, oh, my, my opinions about the, inte- the strength of the card uh, are sort of irrelevant because the, the critical part here is that the you know the arbitrage exists and looks pretty tasty so as long as that's true it doesn't really matter and i do think that the uh whatchamacallit the showcase design is very good uh across the board in kaldheim and that will certainly help it down the road card kingdom covers this currently at 14 us 18.2 credit so you're i mean fully covered at present yeah, I mean, if you're paying, if, if you're buying them in Europe and paying whatever thirteen bucks a copy, and Card Kingdom has you get nineteen dollars in credit, you're you're already there. You did it. Yep. So I got one more beyond that uh, to cap the week for me. Dak Faden Mythic Edition, and actually, I'm also looking at Tamio and Soren Markov uh, out of the this uh, Ravnica Allegiance Mythic Edition, I believe it is. Let me just double check that. Yeah, Ravnica Allegiance. So if you look at the Dak Fadens, uh, Dak is down to 15 listings on TCG Player. Lowest price is 50 bucks. Uh, now I've got my call here to go 60 to 100 because I'm assuming those 50s will get snapped off pretty quickly. So more realistically, you're going to pay about 60 bucks, uh, maybe up to 70, depending on how fast you're moving. I could easily see this getting over 100 because they're just not going to reprint these. This card is has a light enough background that it looks better than some of the ones that look darker. Like everybody complained about the War of the Spark Mythic Edition Jace uh, being very, very dark. Uh, and not showing showcasing the art particularly well. But Dak is in 6,000 reported EDH rec decks, basically 5% of all is it decks run the card. Often gaining control of somebody else's artifact is going to be useful <laughs> in EDH. No huge surprise there, so really hard to go wrong with Dak. And Tamio and Soren Markov are also worth a look. They aren't played to as great a degree, but Tamio is already $66 on TCG Player with 13 listings left. Pretty steep ramp headed for 100 as well. Soren Markov is a heavily played EDH card that's only going to get more attention given that we're headed into a year of vampires. You can get Sorens as low as $33, and there's 17 listings left. You could easily convince me that, that that would be the tastier play ROI-wise, but certainly time to be looking at all of these early Mythic Editions and double-checking whether you've got the copies you want for your collection or might want to spec on a few. Yeah, that's interesting. I I, it's, I had mentioned earlier that someone was uh, pinging me about buying my 
sealed uh, Mythic Editions, but I didn't actually think to go look at the individual cards to see if there was anything exciting there. Um, yeah, so yeah, I mean, that's definitely worth some consideration. Uh, 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 with everything else, this type of effect, these types of rare cards, like we've said, are all pretty well positioned. How did you stumble upon this? Like, what made you think to go look at this card? I was lo- I was looking, <laughs> just happened to be looking up the price of one of the Mythic Edition cards that I had handy, and then I sold a deck, and I at about sixty. And sometimes when I sell, I take a look at the curve to figure out if I'm supposed to repost additional copies I have. Because I have four or five DACs, I think, already in inventory. And they were bought in and around current levels, obviously too early. And I came to the conclusion that DAC's probably a hold and I'm not supposed to repost it because the curve's looking pretty good. You can also still get Ravnica Mythic Editions for about $240 to $250 on TCGs, like sealed. And the top five cards currently equal 110, 145, like over 200. Yeah, you're basically paying full value for market price, but the curves on all of them are looking pretty tasty. Also in that set is a Johnny Mentor of Heroes, which is a pretty useful card and things like Attracts the Planeswalkers. Karn Scion of Urza. Uh, that still has some work to do, probably in Pioneer and Modern along the way, I would imagine. Great art on that one. Kaya, Orzov, Usurper. And then the only stinkers, really, are Jaya Ballard and Domri Chaosbringer, which are both ho- hovering around 10 bucks. But even those only have... I think the max number of listings of any of them are Kaya and Karn at 60 listings. It says to me that they're all going to drain out, given it's enough time. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to be on the hook for those ones lower down the totem pole, uh, but some of those slightly more attractive planeswalkers, yeah, especially with the way things have been going, don't sound uh, like bad choices at all. You also you also can't source these any cheaper overseas because the mythic editions, remember, were only really easily available in North America. The shipping costs were so high overseas that Europe is like eighty dollars a copy on DAC already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we were talking. I went and looked up some other uh, international sources, and they just had none. Just like literal none. Yeah. Uh, which certainly makes that curious as well. So um, nobody's going to be snapping off 30 copies on Card Market and dumping them on Card Kingdom to close the gap. No, and I don't know where you would really see any major supply gluts of these either. So, uh, yeah, probably the, the deck Faden looks sounds like it's pretty solid. And I bet you, if you go through and check every single one of these Mythic Edition cards, I bet you can find a couple others that are worth thinking about too. Yep. So the pick there was uh, 60 to 100 on DAC uh, with, within six months or so. Okay. Uh, Don Fattany, a pro trader, Discord member, Arena Rector Judge Foil, calling it at $18 or so. It's about 20 to 22 in the US, a little closer to 18 in Europe. Uh, art's amazing on, on that version of the card. Sees only mild EDH play, I think about 2,500 decks reported, probably too little this is our the rector you sack it they kill it you block with it whatever and then you go get an ugin and it costs four mana i don't really understand why <laughs> more decks wouldn't run it um it's been out since battle bond right and judge foils i think were originally released early 2020 
So most of their distribution should be complete. Typically, judge foils are available for about a year, though there are always copies sitting in possession of higher-level judges that can get handed out at conferences and whatever. So you might still see some copies filtering into the market in 2021. But judge foils that see at least medium to high levels of play in Commander have been very reliable gainers, and I could easily see this going 18 to 40 within a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. I mean, the card's really good, and I would agree with you. It seems like it's probably a little underplayed for the effect. It's a very useful card. Uh, Mimics uh, Academy Rector, uh, a very good card. And I did a double take when you said Arena Rector, uh, and it was like $18 for the Judge promo. I'm like, uh, I don't think there are any Arena Rectors at $18. <laughs> or Academy Rectors are $18. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a, a good card at a, at a tempting price. Um, I, 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 I'm always a little reluctant to go after the, well, it should be played more. There, there should yep. be more copies of this use. Fair but point. Like, yeah, that is a, a really good way to convince yourself a card should, is good. Uh, and it doesn't really matter what you think. What matters is what everyone else wants to do. But that said, I do think it's a powerful card that there appears to be some okay play on so far um so not not a not at my super favorite card but not bad not bad have you looked at the art oh let me take a closer look it's pretty nice uh yeah i don't know that's generic ish with the gold yeah but it's very well rendered and with the golden light i bet that foil looks pretty nice in person i don't actually have it in possession I gotta love with you. I want purple grandma more than I want. Really? I think the purple grandma art's more amusing. Oh, I despise the battle bond art. I think it's not good. Oh, it's 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 goofy, but that's the appeal for me. Hmm. Uh, speaking of which, the battle battle bond foils for reference are do 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 thirty bucks. Yeah, twenty five ish and there are 29 results so take that for what you will those never really got got there so entirely possible that it's going to take a lot longer than uh, a year for the judge foils to double up but time will tell we'll check back on that i think at the end of this year 2021 we will probably do a pro trader wrap up and compare it to our results and see if they can beat us okay that'll be uh enlightening one way or the other all right so topic of the week hasbro put out their earnings report for the quarter and the biggest story there from a magic the gathering perspective was that they said that magic and D had their best years ever in 2020 keep in mind that nine or ten of those months were covid months all of us were stuck at home LGSs couldn't easily sell product. Lots of them didn't have online presences set up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they still got there. And I attribute that to the theme I've been trying to advance all year since we got over our initial hesitations in March, that whales carried the day here. They put out a bunch of, they had a big slate of premium products. Whales bought into them heavily and that paid huge rewards. They also have production uh, technique or product formulation techniques in play that allow them to sell same old cardboard at elevated prices. And that's probably creating significant margin contribution. 
And when we're, oh, yeah. and when we're talking about that, we're talking about secret layers at $30, $40, $50 a pop. Whether they're foil or not doesn't really matter much. Still pennies on the dollar to print those. And talking about collector boosters, the first full year of collector boosters coming out for basically every set. Uh, every standard legal set plus Commander Legends. And VIP boosters being $100 and people buying tens of thousands of them worldwide uh, in association with Double Masters. Double Masters, of course, was already a booster box that uses the Masters model of being priced at two or three times the price of a regular booster box. So all of that means very similar printing cost, much, much higher margins. They have a package here that most retailers of any product would only dream of. Like, oh, you're telling me I can make the exact same product I already have and sell it at like a 10x multiplier because I spent an extra nickel on some different finishing and I made fewer of them. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's taking a cue from the, the sneaker world and all that, but my God, is it effective at the moment? Yeah. So, I mean, Hasbro's total gaming category, including all gaming revenue, most notably Magic the Gathering and Monopoly, totaled $561 million, uh, and $1.76 billion for the quarter and full year 2020, respectively. So, full, full gaming for all of 2020, $1.76 billion billion and the quarter was up 27 percent the annual was up 15 percent compared to 2019 you can imagine that a good a healthy chunk of that came out of magic given that magic is the first brand listed Mm -hmm. so let's let's argue for argument's sake just say that magic revenues were up 20 percent now, that doesn't speak to profit, and they did go on to explain that there were actually significant increases in expense that were mostly related to gearing up to offer additional digital products for Magic. So that's probably uh, Arena on mobile. That's the new uh, Diablo-type game they're trying to launch for Magic shortly. Uh, and But the bottom line is this. When you can do better during a pandemic... These the stories of the, the the singular story that caught uh, was passed around on social several months ago, where they were talking about how it looked like uh, Hasbro was gearing up to sell Wizards. <laughs> I seriously doubt they are gearing up to sell Wizards and maintain that not only is there not a good buyer out there, but you don't sell when a, a brand that's doing this well when you don't need to. <laughs> Yeah, certainly doesn't seem like that is uh, a likely outcome at this juncture, does it? And and keep in and keep in mind, you either the company would need to be in trouble, or they would need to be raising cash for something else. They wanted to make a major acquisition or something, or pivot into another direction, um, or the brands in question were were underperforming in their hands versus what else they usually the rest of their portfolio of brands. And they wanted to spin it off because they felt they could get val- the true value for it from somebody who could manage it more effectively. None of which seems to be true, or, nor is likely to be true. As I said when we first discussed the, the topic of whether they would sell Wizards, 
I can't name and nobody has named for me a company that would make sense to purchase Magic the Gathering as a brand, given what you have to do to run it. You have to have both gaming product development expertise in paper and or digital gaming expertise while not already having access to superior digital properties <laughs> that could drive better returns for you. They also go on to mention that fourth quarter 2020 revenues grew just 4%. Uh, and that suggests that overall, Magic really outpaced most of the rest of their portfolio. All of this... so the all of this points to magic just having been remarkably successful for hasbro at large in various forms in manners over the last year uh and no matter how you slice it what struck me was there's clearly going to be an incentive here wizards is going to look at this and go wow magic in several different metrics had a banner year in 2020 uh so do that again do that more do that harder and if people thought that they didn't like what wizards was doing with premium products and with the power level and standard sets i got bad news for you <laughs> yeah because they you know we talked about this like in i think it was around throne of Eldraine with Oko is like War of the Spark and Dominaria had some bangers. And then we hit like Oko and we were like, and they, you know, after they banned Oko, they basically said like, uh, Oko was not an outlier. We're going to do this every set. And it was like, holy moly. And they're getting rewarded for that strategy. So, you know, your comment earlier about how they, you were surprised they weren't put in some premium, extra premium cards and some product. I don't remember what it was you said. Uh, I mean, you're, you're probably going to see that come to fruition. Like they basically have not found the bounds on how much money they can wring out of whales. And they're going to keep doing it. And they also have not found the bounds on how much they can print busted ass cards that are going to send people scrambling to buy them and then replace them when they get banned. So just take whatever happened in 2020 with magic and assume you're getting that 30% more. Now, I, I do wonder, fear, fear's the wrong word. I'm cautious about what happens the longer the lack of in-person play goes on. I believe that though the whales saved the day in 2020... The lower end of the market has been fading away and will continue to fade away on a increasing curve the longer they cannot play in person. Because certain, some people are at home in situations where they've got siblings or parents or significant others that are willing to play with them and they're just having a grand old time playing magic and whatever else. But lots of people are in situations where there's nobody in their home that they can play with and they can't easily visit anybody else and their local LGS shut down or is closed or can't play in person. And those people in particular, you know, the people that would typically spend less than a thousand dollars a year on magic are probably buying less of it. Now I don't have any evidence that that's true, but I would at least want to be preparing for a situation where the, you know, 
early 2022 might be the most realistic perspective for when LGS play might resume with a vengeance. And I'm very curious to how things like standard will go, whether you'll see people come out of the woodwork to play EDH in person, whether modern and pioneer will resume at at nearly the levels of play that we had come to expect, whether GPs are just wiped off the map semi-permanently, like even in 2022, they just say, you know what? Too much risk. We don't know what, like the lawyers just say, forget it. Just forget organized play for the time being. You didn't even like, they didn't even seem that interested in it to begin with. (laughs) You know, a lot of what they've been doing the last few years heading into the pandemic led us to believe that wizards could take or leave organized play and was more than willing to undermine it. So if they had a banner year in a year where nobody could play in person, that doesn't send great signals for them to be tripping over themselves to try to make sure we're all capable of playing. And I wonder how long that can, you know, how long the lack of support for play in paper can go on before the brand does suffer. I I have, there's two prongs to this. On the one hand, um, I think, and this is extends well beyond magic, that there's probably a, a, a general belief that when everyone finally feels like they can go back to real life, uh, they're going to do so with a vengeance. Um, whether you are going to sporting events or concerts or on vacation or hanging out, drinking wine or playing magic, people are going to do it and they're going to do it hard because they had spent so long not doing any of that. Uh, and, and so, so I think when paper magic comes back, you will probably see people who have been itching to play really hit it hard. Um, as for whether or not people will drift away after not having gotten to play magic for a year and a half, of course, we're both speaking just from intuition, basically. I, I, I have found that for the most part, people come and go out of magic, out of a social construct. You tend to get a lot of people tend to get in the magic because their friends are into it and they fall out of magic because their friends stopped playing. So if you're like a semi casual player, but your buddies have all kind of still been buying magic cards and are still interested in it, you might not have been that engaged over the last year and you might not be engaged until you get back to the store. But if your friends go back in late 2020, late 21 early 22 and are right back at the tables and keep playing you're going to keep going because that's what your friends are doing and you're going to participate and even if you took two years off like because you couldn't play in person it's still there for you where i bet they lose people is where stores closed so you're in a town with really only one store and they shut their doors And, you know, now your group kind of doesn't have anywhere to go. And like, yeah, you can still get together and play EDH with each other. But like, I would imagine that pillar falling out of your community. It definitely has an effect. And suddenly that's how you have a community collapse and you have people leave the game because it just doesn't exist in your town anymore. But, you know, how how much is that going to happen? I'm not sure. It's hard to say. Um, because I don't know how many people live in areas where they really only have one store or where all the local stores are going to collapse. Uh, overall, what do I think? I think they probably don't shed that many people overall. I don't think you're you're not really gaining players um, in this scenario, but I don't think they shed too many. And Wizards' ability to collect new players 
has proven to be troubled at best over the last five years, um, which is partly why they pivoted to just making money on the whales because they realized trying to get more people in the door isn't the solution. It's getting the people that are already here to spend a lot of money. So even if they do lose 10% of their international player base over the span of two years, does that matter matter compared to how much more money they got out of the people that are left in the game? No. <laughs> There's also the counter-argument that they are just, by focusing on premium product, they are pushing the collectability aspect of Magic. And that there are many people who will acquire cards for their quote-unquote collection that didn't even play much Magic when they could (laughs) and are happy to continue acquiring cards even in the absence of play. I mean, I've gone through various periods over the last 20 years where I played frequently, in big tournaments and local uh, store tournaments, and then went big long stretches where I never showed up to play a year at a time, two years at a time, three years, and then went back. To, you, you go, hey, I haven't done that in a while. You go back and set it in your schedule to go to F and M every Friday for say twelve weeks, and then summer comes, you might fade and go off and do other things, then cycle back into it at various points. Like the ebb and flow of your interaction with the hobby can easily include already include in the absence of COVID periods where you're not necessarily prioritizing play, but you're still purchasing lots of product. Um, so, I mean, if I was Wizards, I would be handling things differently. I would have gone way harder at trying to push online play during COVID. I would have made a big deal out of it. I would have taken out a lot of ads, uh, you know, on major Twitch streams and stuff, non-magic related advancing some hot platform I had to play Commander Online. And I would have put out a Commander kit, like play at home product kit that would have been like a webcam slash mic plus a deck. I feel like they could have, you know, pivoted a bit on the product mix and put something like that out there, partnered with Logitech or whatever for the camera. And that would have sold pretty well. You, you, they couldn't get that off the ground because Logitech had no supply. That's also a possibility. Uh, I mean, that's it, true. There it, could it, easily have been logistics issues. It's entirely possible somebody had that idea and they were like, "Oh God, like this is <laughs> nobody can get any of this <laughs> right now." Yeah, my my neighbor works for Best Buy uh, or worked for Best Buy, and uh, I know back in like what was it like May or something of last of 2020, we were talking, and she said that. Like, you know, Best Buy's electronic sales or whatever, the pace they go at. And she's like, man, mid-March hit and, like, everything with a power switch was gone from that store. Just, like, decimated. Uh, Yeah, I mean, is it any surprise that Wizards didn't address that scenario as (laughs) competently as one might expect? Eh, Not particularly, because it involved electronic devices, their, uh, their bugaboo. Um, but I mean, you know, at the end of the day, clearly these number the numbers from the sales report show that <coughs> it didn't matter. All right. So that should be a wrap for episode 258. Just two more to 260. Uh, I'm toying with this idea that we're going to do a live show over 260 and let people call in, but I'm not 100% sure how that will work technically. So we'll have to figure that out. 
We'll definitely figure that out 20 minutes before episode 260. <laughs> Did anyone uh, anyone chime in with any ideas for what we should do? I didn't notice anything, but I was curious if you saw anything that I missed. No, but I haven't send it, sent out any kind of big public announcement yeah. or anything. We'll probably also well, I said it on cast last week, so I figured somebody would chime in in the Discord. Nope, didn't hear any, didn't hear much on in the way of that. So well, the, the fact that nobody responded to that leads me to believe that a live show may, may have a little less audience participation than we may. No, have no, before. no. There's no way any 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 enemies of the cast or people who feel critical of anything that we do would love to call in and and hand us something on a platter. Uh, well, I would presume that when you talk about doing a live show, it would be live in the Discord, not like facing the internet at large. I would love to let it be facing the internet at large if we can figure it out, because I like nothing more than to set up the lightning rod and let people throw hurl lightning bolts. Uh, okay. We'll see. We'll talk it over. Yeah. Uh, where can people find you online, sir? I'm on Twitter, wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. How about yourself? You guys can find me on Twitter at MDG Critic, as well as a constant haunting of the Pro MTG Price Pro Trader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. We're actually running a single... I'm working on a singles group buy right now where the singles in question will be below... will be above... Sorry. Will be be priced below CK buy list cash price. Wow. So... That seems... Work that out in your heads. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at Cool Stuff, Inc. to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Did you read your blurb? I zoned out. You're 8 bucks a month or $80 a year. Did you say yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I understand. Okay, I understand how that's a blank spot in your brain after 500 episodes. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's episode 258 in the books. Uh, two more, two more big ones, and then we shut the doors forever. Uh, I will. That's like that's a joke. We're not going to stop. Uh, I will. Uh, Can't stop. Won't stop. You, yeah, I, I will see you next week, James. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. <laughs> 